This is a story from Shetland. Although you find it all over, I know many other places will be saying, no, that's our story, but uh, it's been spread around a lot. In this version I had from my dear, dear friend and brother in storytelling, the late Lawrence Tullock, who said that he'd had it from his grandmother, so it must have been on Shetland for a long time, and he called it London Again. Now there was a man who was a skipper of a boat, a sexerine, a six-oared boat. So he would row that with five other crewmen. But the boat was his, he was the skipper. And they would go out to the fishing. They would carry long lines with them with many, many hooks on it, and they would go fishing. Now they were out fishing one day when suddenly a gale sprung up. It was a terrible gale that just came out of nowhere. And the sea was battering the ship, and the men were trying their best to do everything that they could to save their boat from being swamped. Well, they were being buffeted and tossed on wave after wave, when suddenly a huge wave caught them. They were trying their best to row towards the shore. But this huge wave caught them, and it flung the boat right up onto the top of the beach. Well, the men were amazed. Their lives had been saved. Now, all of them had taken a bit of a battery, knocks and cuts and bruises, but there was nothing seriously wrong there. None of them had a broken bone or anything. But when they got out of the boat, they realized that the boat had not fared so well, because when it was cast up on the beach, the keel had broken. Well, without the keel, the boat couldn't go to sea. And without wood, you couldn't fix the keel. And the skipper didn't have any wood. So him and his men went home. They knew that for every day that that boat was not in the sea, then they would lose money, because they relied on the fishing for their livelihood. Now when the skipper got home, he was met with his wife, who was complaining that she needed a new rope, because the band that fastened the cow in the byre to its stall, just a, a short tether fixed to a, a stake in the wall, and that's where you would tie your cow in the stall. The band had broken. She needed a new piece of rope, and they didn't have a piece of rope. Well, the man says, huh, never mind your piece of rope. We've got worse problems than that. Keel of the boat's broken. Can't go to sea. Need to get a piece of wood. Well, the rope is as important as the boat, she says, because my cool will just wander around all over the place and I need to keep her in the stall. Well, the man had his problems. So the next day he set off and he went to the boat builder. And he asked him if he had a piece of wood that he could use as a keel for the boat. And he said no. Wood was scarce that year. They had to import it from Norway, and there wasn't any. So he didn't have any wood that he could use at all 
but he suggested another man who lived quite a distance away, and he was also a, a repaired boat, so the skipper set off, and he walked and he walked for a long time until in the evening he arrived at the house where this other boat builder was, and he asked him if he had a piece of wood that he could buy to fix the keel of his boat, but again the man told him the same story. Wood was in short supply that year, and they didn't have any, so that was just too bad, nothing he could do about it. He suggested that he might carry on walking some distance further. He might find somebody with a piece of wood you never know. The man decided that it was best to try at least anyway. But the boat builder was a hospitable man, so he invited the skipper to stay for his supper, and he gave him a bed for the night. And in the morning he was given a bite to eat and set off on his way. Now he walked and he walked and he walked, but it was an area that he didn't know. It was a place that he'd never been before. He didn't know anyone there, and there was hardly anybody living there. There was hardly a house. It was just moorland with this little road running through it. So in the evening he was starting to get desperate. It was getting dark. The fog had been coming in during the day. And he was hungry, and it started to rain. So he was getting wet as well. So he wasn't very happy. And there was no sign of a house. Now he carried on walking for quite a way, and then in the distance he saw a faint glimmer of light, so he headed towards it. And out in the middle of nowhere, there was a small house. So he went and he knocked on the door. And it was answered by a, a middle-aged woman who said, What do you want? And he said, Well, I'm skipper of a boat. I'm trying to find a piece of wood. And I've been going around trying to find anybody that could help me. But now time has caught up with me. It's night, and I need a place to come and stay the night. Hmm, said the woman, not looking too happy. Well, I'd rather you didn't. But there's nowhere else. I've been walking for miles and haven't seen another house. I could walk for the rest of the night and not find one. Well, I suppose, said the woman, well, you'd better come in. So he went in, and in by the fire he saw another middle-aged woman, around the same age as the woman that had let him in, and also a much, much older woman was sitting by the fire, and he assumed that this was a mother and two daughters. So he explained the situation to the old woman, and she didn't look any happier than her daughter did. And the hospitality was not great. All he got was a piece of stale bread and a glass of milk. And then they said, right, you can go to, I'll show you your bed. It's bedtime. Bedtime, he thought. It was only early evening. Time that you might put a bairn to bed, but not a grown-up like him. He hadn't gone to bed so early for since he was a bairn. But, you know, it was their house. So they led him into a room, which was an, it was sparsely furnished. There was a bed in it. And the only other thing was a kist, a chest, that stood against the one wall. So they told him to go to bed, and they would see him in the morning. 
and away they went. So, he climbed into bed. He left his clothes on. He wasn't tired, but he was weary. He'd been walking all day, and so it was nice to actually lie down and have a rest, even if he didn't feel like sleeping. Now, he'd been there for a wee while, maybe less than an hour, when he heard the door of the room open very slowly, quietly. And he looked over, and there was one of the middle-aged women. And she came into the room. She had a look at him. He pretended to be asleep. And then she headed towards the chest, and she opened it up. And she took out a hat. It was a thing like a red berry. And she put it on her head, and she said, London again, and vanished. Well, the skipper was amazed. I mean, where did she go? But he thought, you know, this place reeks of witchcraft and magic, and I had best be careful. So he pretended to sleep, and then the door opened again, and in came the other middle-aged woman, and she headed over to the kist, opened the lid, took out a red berry, put it on her head, and said, London again, and vanished. Well... This time, the skipper knew that this was real. He had wondered whether he had just imagined this, whether he dreamed it, but no, here it was again. And very, very soon after that, in came the old woman, and she hobbled over to the chest, and she took out a berry, and she put it on her head, and said, London again, and vanished. So the man got up. The three of them now were gone, so he went and sat by the fire for a bit warmed up, and then he decided to have a wee look around and see if he could find something a bit more to eat. And there wasn't an awful lot in the house, right enough, but he did find some bread and some cheese, and he made himself a pot of tea, and he sat down and he had a bite to eat. And then curiosity got the better of him. He went back through to the bedroom, and he went over to the kist, and he had a look inside, and, you know, there was dozens of red berries lying inside it. So, curiosity again, he reached down and picked one up, and he put it on his head, and he said, London again, and then he had the most strange feeling. It was like he was lifted up and flying through the air at huge speed, but it was so quick that... Within the blink of an eye, he found himself in a cellar. It was a wine cellar. It was in London, but of course he didn't know that. And there were the three women lying on the floor with cups alongside them. And they were all dead drunk. They had been drinking the wine and they'd fallen asleep. <laughs> well, the skipper thought, Wine, eh? I wonder what it's like. I wonder if it's any good. So he found himself a cup as well, and he poured himself from a bottle at a spigot, and he turned the tap, and he poured himself a glass, a cup full of wine, and he drank it, and, ooh, he thought, this is good stuff. This is really tasty. So he had another, and another, and another, and another, and another, 
as you do. And he fell asleep. It was heady stuff, this wine. And soon he was lying, snoring his head off. Well, the next thing he knew, rough hands had grabbed him, and he was dragged to his feet, and he could hear angry voices. And a man was saying, There he is, that's the thief. Take him off to the prison. What? he said. It was the vintner. It was the man who owned all the bottles of, of wine. Now, the women, they were gone. There was no sign of them. But there he was, now in the hands of the police. There has been somebody drinking my wine in this cellar for years now, said the vintner, and now the thief has been caught. Take him away for trial. So he was hauled away and he was thrown into a prison. Well, he sat there, forlornly waiting for his fate, and sure enough, he was taken up in front of a magistrate, and the charges was levelled against him. He was caught red-handed, drinking wine in the vintner's cellar. And not only that, but had been doing it for years, because he'd been losing wine at a rate of knots. Every night it was going, and he'd finally caught the culprit. Well, back in those days, it was a long time ago, the punishment for theft like that was death by hanging. And that is what the judge said. You will be taken from here to a place of execution and hanged by the neck until you are dead, and may God have mercy on your soul. And so the poor old skipper was taken out in an open cart and paraded through the streets of London, where there was cheering crowds all gathered to watch him being hanged, and he was brought up to a, the scaffold, a great big wooden scaffold with a crossbeam on it, with the rope with the noose on it. And the hangman took him up there, and he was just about to put the noose around his neck when he said to the skipper, Do you have any last requests? It's kind of traditional, you know. And he said, Hmm. And then suddenly, a light bulb went on over his head. He had an idea, something that he should have thought of a while ago, but hadn't. He remembered that that red berry was still in his pocket. And he said to the hangman, Could I wear my hat to be executed in? It's always brought me luck. <laughs> luck, said the hangman. <laughs> well, if you must, yes, of course, go ahead. So he took the berry out of his jacket pocket, and he put it on his head, and he said, home again. And the next thing he knew, the scaffolding himself and the hangman was all lifted up into the air to fly off home. Well, the skipper kicked the hangman over the side, and then the scaffold flew through the air, and the next thing he knew, bang, it landed right outside the gable end of his own house. Well, he went inside, and he saw that some of the men from the sexery and some of the crew, they had come along to the hoose to see how he was getting on with fixing the boat. They hadn't heard anything from him for a while, so they were a bit concerned. And his wife was there too, and she was very concerned, because he'd vanished. I mean, he set off looking for a piece of wood and never came home. 
And then here he was. So he took them outside and he told them this, this strange story and, and they all went, ah, rubbish. And he said, well, come and have a look. So they went outside and there was the scaffold sitting at the end of the hoose. And when the men seen it, they said, the wood in that is just perfect for repairing the keel of your boat. And his wife said, and even better than that, Yes, a rope that I can use for tethering my coo. And she took the hangman's noose-stone, and she proudly took it through to the buyer to fasten her coo. And so they were all happy. <laughs>